All right, if you want to open to page 43 of the Story Bible, and uh, if you are in the Bibles from uh, the rows, uh, you can open those up uh, as well. To the book of Exodus. To the book of Exodus. We're trucking along, uh, hitting some high points through Genesis, and now we're in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And I just want you to put your finger there and then just pause for a second. We jump into our story today on the banks of the Nile River in Egypt, northern Africa. In Egypt, for God's people, the Israelites, today is like yesterday, and tomorrow will be just like today. We wake up, we make bricks for Pharaoh, and we go to bed. We wake up, we make bricks, bed. Wake up, bricks, bed. An endless cycle. It's almost like history itself has stalled because tomorrow is going to be just like today. And the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is, well, it seems like he's nowhere to be found. And this, if you're an Israelite in Egypt, you're thinking is just the way it's always going to be, or so it would seem. And if you think about where we land in our story today, I'm guessing the same can be true for a lot of us, I suppose. Some years into our Christian journeys, after years of what just seems like busyness and just getting by, we begin to believe that maybe this is just the way that life is as well. This is normal, whatever your normal is. The alarm goes off way too early, right? You get up, you rush out the door, you grab some breakfast on the go, you put in your time at work, you swing by and pick up the kids, you pay the bills, you check your Facebook, you watch the Chicago Bears win again, you know, things that are normal, things that are reoccurring in your life. Some of you got that, some of you didn't, I know. But we all have our normal, and it just kind of sets in for us. And then you look at your to-do list, and you try to find a little bit of time for your family. And then it's off to bed only to do it all over tomorrow as you try to put on that smile and you show up at worship and say, everything is fine, even when it's not. And so because there's this void in us that that our normal isn't what we set out for in the Christian life, we try to fill that void with a lot of different things. We say, well, if I can just make it through the week and just get to the weekend, then I'll be happy again. I'm looking for the raise, for the new home, for a better job, for a new relationship, maybe. Anything to bring a little spark to life. Life has a way of becoming, if we let it, numbing. Numbing. Nothing's too great. Nothing's too terrible. It's just life. And maybe some of you are feeling that way today. And that is the way that we find the Israelites in our story. And so you might be wondering, well, how did we get here? How did we get to this place where God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery in Egypt? Because last week where where Andy left us off, things were great with Joseph. Remember our friend Joseph? He's on the throne in Israel. He's ruling over God's people. He's, He's one of God's good guys, right? He's one of the heroes of the Bible. Joseph is is ruling over Egypt and God's people are growing and he's made peace with his brothers and all is well in the neighborhood, right? But then something goes wrong and that's where we pick up the story today on page 43. Chapter 4 called Deliverance. 
Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So life for the Israelites isn't just numbing, it's painful, a world that's plagued with fear and and, and fear of the future and death and disease. And so at this point in the story, when you read that, who does it seem like has all the power? The Egyptians, right? Pharaoh, he's the one on the throne. It seems like he has all the power, at least from what we can see in the lower story and what we can see from our vantage point. I mean, this is, after all, God's chosen people that have been sent to redeem the world. But under the ruthless and oppressive Pharaoh, it seems God's people are stuck. They're stuck. Have you ever felt that way in life? Things are just stuck and things aren't moving forward? That's exactly where the Israelites were, and that's also where the inmates of Shawshank Prison find themselves. And no one, no one knows that feeling of feeling stuck and enslaved more than the character named Red in the film The Shawshank Redemption. Now, a disclaimer about this film. Andy showed the movie Cars last week, okay? And we would strongly encourage you as a family to go see Cars together. Great family movie. Shawshank Redemption, not so much, okay? Not encouraging you to do that. But if you want a story about slavery to freedom and bondage into redemption, well, this comes to mind. So the character Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, has almost spent half his life in a maximum security prison. And in this scene, you're going to see they're talking about uh, one of their friends uh, named Brooks, who is an older man that recently just got out and was in the penitentiary for over 50 years. And so they're talking about Brooks and how when you're enslaved like the Israelites were for so long, the walls around you start to just become normal. And you get used to it and you think, well, maybe this is how life is supposed to be. So we're going to pick it up with a conversation between Red and some of the other inmates about what it's like to be surrounded in bondage. Let's take a look. So when you've been encamped in these walls for so long, it starts to become normal. This, this slavery, it starts to just become, well, you get used to it. And I think sometimes we feel that way as well, whether you're in Egypt or whatever kind of chains that are around you today. And sometimes we just need a visible reminder in a physical sense of sometimes what you and I experience in a spiritual sense or on the inside. You see, slavery or bondage can take on a lot of different looks. It can be God's people working as slaves in Egypt 
but it can also look a lot of different ways for us because some of you today, you're all wrapped up and you're enslaved by your past. You're enslaved by mistakes you've made, wounds that are a part of your life. This identity, these lies that you've been believing for so long about who people think you are that's contrary to who God says you are. For others of you today, it's, it's, your, it's your present. It's what you're feeling right now here today that's, that's got you all wrapped up, that's enslaved you. For some of you, it's, it's, uh, it's this thinking that life is just ordinary. And what's enslaved you today is this idea that this is it with God. Everything that I've experienced so far in my life, I guess this is it. I guess this is what being a Christian is all about, about just messing up and trying to be a better person. But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. And yet for some of you, the bondage that you're in today is, is to the future. <laughs> it's like you're, you're, you're thinking so hard and you're stressing so much and you're worried so much about things in the future that they've handcuffed you in the present. You can't fully step into who God's called you to be because you're so afraid or you're worried about that. Or it could be uh, maybe something that you're fighting right now, maybe an addiction or uh, not only to a substance, but the chain that maybe is linking you to work, the chain that links you to constant performing because I have to be good enough. And so I'm in, enslaved to my boss or I'm enslaved to some other person that I have given total control of my self-worth and my value to because I'm basing my entire identity on what somebody else has told me I am. And God says that's not who you are. And I want to set you free. For some of you, maybe it is the future. And if we're not careful, the chains that enslave us, they can steal our joy. And instead of the freedom that we were made for, we can go days and months and even years until that becomes our new normal. As you heard Red say in the clip, they become all we know. That is until somebody comes along and tells us things don't always have to be this way. This is not the life that you were created for. You were made for something more. And that's where we pick up our story today. So now flip over to page 45, and that's where we continue our story. If you're in the Bibles in the rows, it's Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23. I'm going to read in the middle of the page on page 45. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God's heart beats for you. So a few weeks ago, we learned that in each of these stories, God is always asking a question to us as people. He says, do you trust me? Do you trust me that I'm committed to you? And if we remember, if, 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 if from one side of the stage up here to the other is the timeline of this story, we started our story with Adam and Eve in the garden. And even though they sinned, God asked them a question. He said, I haven't given up on you. Do you trust me? And he asked the same question to Noah with the rainbow. 
I've made a promise to you. Do you trust me? The same promise to Abraham and saving Isaac. Do you trust me? The same promise to Joseph last week. And now the same promise again to God's people, the Israelites. Do you trust that although your lower story seems like it's halted or you are in bondage to something today, do you trust that God has the upper story under control? You do know that you were made to live free, right? If God had a, you know those personalized license plates, like those weird people that get like college sports teams on their license plates? It's just strange people. Uh, I think if God had a personalized license plate, it would say, live free, love God. That made too many letters. I don't know. Live free, love God. That's what he would say. That's God's heart for you. I love how uh, the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Galatians. Let's put this up on the screen. Let's read this together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God's heart has not changed for us for thousands of years. His desire is that you would always keep the hope of freedom inside of you. There is something that God has put inside every single one of us this morning that no one can take away. And that is the identity of God. And he says this morning to every single one of you, you are my son and you are my daughter and you are not meant to live enslaved to anything. Because my opinion of you is the only opinion that matters. You were created to be free. And no one knows that better than our friend Andy Dufresne, who's another one of the inmates back at Shawshank Prison. Andy's been there for a few years now, and just like the Israelites, he's in bondage, but he's an innocent man. And so Andy becomes the most unlikely character to bring hope to those around him, this hope of being free one day. Well, Andy gets put in the hole for a month, and all he has with him is the memory of music. Something inside of him. And so as you take a look at this clip, I want you to think about when's the last time you really had hope? Or have you too forgotten that there's something much more than whatever your normal is today. Let's take a look. Hope is a pretty uh, dangerous thing. But whatever happens to you in this life, there's always hope. And no one can take that. And so my question for you this morning is, what would freedom look like for you? If you really sat down and thought about it, If you really ask God what it is that that has enslaved you in the past, what it is that's going on in your life right now here today, what would real freedom in Christ look like for you? For some of you, it's going to be living a healthier life, no longer dependent on any substance to feel okay about yourself. For some of you, freedom is going to look like no longer basing every decision you make on pleasing a parent or a boss that you could never be good enough for. For some of you, freedom is going to look like uh, finding joy in what you do have rather than what you don't have. For some of you, real freedom is going to be understanding that you know the king of kings and he has everything and he owns everything and so everything is yours. Maybe that's what freedom looks like. Maybe for the first time for you today, 
Freedom is going to be resting in who God authentically made you. Are you okay? (laughs) Can you say that? Can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm okay. In fact, I'm better than okay. I'm an heir to the throne. I'm a son of God. I'm not enslaved to anything anymore. And so God is ready to set his people free once more because slavery is not the end of your story and slavery is not the end of this story. And so we pick up the story. God just needs a point person to help him set these people free. And that's where we pick it up again on page 45. Now we're in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Pick it up on the bottom of page 45. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush did not burn up. Not every day you see that. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So just pause the story there for a second. Here's Moses, think about this, a sheep herder, minding his own business, and all of a sudden God shows up in a burning bush. Have you ever noticed in scripture, God never shows up the same way twice? It's creative like that. And I don't know much about sheep herding, but I know two things. Number one, it stinks, literally. And number two, it's anything but exciting, (laughs) except when a bear or a lion shows up. But for a majority of the time, it's boring. It's anything but riveting. You might say life for Moses had become normal, mundane, and he was enslaved to maybe this is the way life will always be. But you see, Moses was not just enslaved to his present, he was enslaved to his past, which you may not know, just a page earlier in this story, a chapter earlier in the Bible, Moses sees a couple, uh, uh, he sees an Egyptian that's, that's really beating one of the Israelites, a Hebrew, and Moses just, he lets his anger get the best out of him. And he doesn't remember that two wrongs don't make a right. And so Moses lets his anger get the best out. He says, I got to get even. I got to have judgment because God's not taking care of this. And so Moses takes a rock and he murders this Egyptian. Moses. Bible hero Moses. Murderer. And God says, that's my man. God loves stories like this. Have you seen this yet? God loves to take the most unlikely people and make them his. Make them his point people. And so Moses is not hiding it with the sheep for a job. Moses is hiding from his past. He's hiding from guilt and shame. And now, maybe just like you here today, Moses is saying, I'm just going to play it safe. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to stir the waters. I'm just going to hide out here in the wilderness and tend my sheep because God could never use me again. You ever thought that? I'm way past my time. But watch 
what happens. Back to page 46. About halfway down. So God says, after a long speech, Now go, Moses! I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God chooses a guy that is enslaved himself to lead the greatest rescue campaign out of slavery in the history of the world. How ironic is that? But Moses said to God, whoa, wait a minute. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says, I'll be with you. Skip down to the bottom of page 46. Moses said to the Lord, um, pardon your servant, Lord. Um, I've never, as he's looking at his shoes, uh, I've never been really uh, um, elo- um, uh, eloquent, uh, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't have what it takes, God. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God kind of plays the God card there. Now go, God says. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. You'd think after that Moses would be like, the God of the universe is with me. I don't have any worries. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. How often do we say that? Moses is enslaved to his past, and he's also enslaved to what he thinks is his present weakness. Just like you and I. Do you realize that God is trying to prove a point over and over and over again? What excuses have you made today to not be a part of God's mission? Whatever it is that you feel like God has called you to do, and I'm sure at some point, every single one of us have been sitting here in, in, uh, in worship or maybe in a small group or, or you've heard something and you feel like God is whispering something to you. Like the Holy Spirit is giving you kind of a little push in the back. Get involved. You can do it. You have what it takes. Now's the time. You've been meaning to do this. Today's the day. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And almost immediately after, the enemy likes to come in with those lies. And immediately after, the excuses start to come out of our mouths. Well, you know, God can't really use me because I'm still kind of new with this whole Christian thing. Not only was Moses inexperienced, he was running from God. And he still used him. Or the excuse goes something like, well, I just, you know, I just don't think I have the time. I got a really busy schedule. It's just, you know, what's going on there at the church and what God's calling me to do out in the community? I just, it's not really convenient for my schedule. And yet God puts a burning, I really believe this, God puts a burning bush in front of us every single day in a city and surrounded with people that are in need. How much more of a burning bush do we need, church? And God simply asks that we say, here I am, send me. Oh, the excuses just come. And you see, John, I'm I'm not one of those kind of Christians. I know I could never be, I could never be like one of these people up front that's just wild and crazy for God. I'm more of a normal Christian. 
what's more normal than scooping sheep poop? And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to redefine what your normal is, right? I've got something bigger in store. And the last excuse is to maybe just go something like this. Well, you know, I think... I think I've done my duty to the church. Those of, those of you that are, that are maybe uh, over your midlife or somewhere around there, I've done my duty to the church. I've been in 20 Bible studies for 20 years. I've done everything. I think it's time to let the next generation come up. I think it's time to give some other people a chance. And now that I've done my duty to the church, I'm just going to sit back and kick up my heels and let somebody else do it. And God says the same thing to you today that he said to Moses. Now go. Stop hiding. Do you realize, folks, that a strong majority of the people that God uses to lead his people all throughout this Bible were midlife and beyond? Most of them needed to be in nursing homes. And God says, now go. Now, Moses. Now, Abraham. Now's the time. It is never too late to be used by God. He says, now go. God says, I don't care what age you are today. I don't care if you're one of the kids up in Kingdom Quest. I don't care if you're here today and you're saying, I really am in a nursing home. And that's okay. We love you. Bring it on. And God says to you today, I've given you more than you will ever need. So leave your chains behind and go into your marriage, go into your family, go into your work, go into your church, and be who you were created to be. I don't know what that next step looks like for you today, but be intentional. Invite somebody from church over to your house. Speak the truth in love even when it's difficult. Be the spiritual leader of your family. Join that life group. Lead a life group if he's called you to lead. Step into those places and know that in your weakness today, God says, I am exceedingly strong. Amen? I am exceedingly strong. God is calling you out of slavery so that you can go, maybe not to the promised land, but into being a loving, free, mature man or woman of God. Or as Andy Dufresne later says in the film, folks, we either get busy living or we get busy dying. So what's it going to be for you today? And so Moses, along with his brother Aaron, they get busy themselves. And Moses says, okay, God, I'm going to take you up on your word and we're going to get busy living. And so over and over again, they go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't budge. In fact, he makes the slaves work harder and harder. So God says, I'm not done yet. I'm in control of this story. And so he starts sending plagues, uh, flies and, and, and locusts and hailstorms and constant darkness and traffic jams on the interstate and all sorts of horrible things God sends on the Israelites. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. And Moses doesn't budge. And so Moses is getting very, very frustrated. And so we pick up the story again on page 48, very top of page 48. God, or Moses says, uh, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Ever get antsy? Moses says, come on, God. Skip down the page a little bit and God responds. God says, therefore say to the Israelites, Moses, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. A.K.A. I am a God that keeps my promises. 
I've not given up on you, Moses. God says, can we trust you? And God says, I promise. And now remember, a couple weeks ago I mentioned, whenever God makes a big promise in Scripture, what does it point to? A Savior. Whenever God makes a big promise anywhere in Scripture, it's always pointing to a Savior. And so in Exodus chapter 12, way farther down on the story, finally, Pharaoh's had enough, and he says to Moses, fine, I've had it, no more locusts, no more flies, no more darkness, get out of here. And so Moses and the entire Israelite nation get up and leave. Between one and three million people just leave. A mass exodus. Hence the name of the book. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass over Egypt, God says, and I'm going to destroy some of the Egyptians. But in order that I don't destroy you, God's people, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a perfect goat or a perfect lamb, and I want you to slaughter them, which was a religious practice that they did in the Old Testament. I want you to slaughter them, and I want you to take their blood, and I want you to smear it on the top of the doorpost. I want you to smear it. And some of you might be saying, that is really gross. That is really weird. But get this. God says, that's how I will know that I should pass over you. Whenever God makes a promise, it's pointing to a savior. And so when God sees the blood on their doorpost, they are then saved from death. What a gross way to save his people. And yet if you hit the pause button there and jump ahead a couple thousand years to an upper room where Jesus sits with his disciples and they are having the Passover feast. And Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, this is my blood shed for you so that as you receive my body and blood and my life in you, death will literally pass over you. All the way back in ancient Egypt, God is saying, there's going to be a savior and he's going to come to rescue you. This is the story. This is my blood shed for you, Jesus says, even in Egypt. I want you to hear this. God has the uncanny ability to teach the realities of the gospel through the messiness of the Bible. The realities of the gospel through the messiness of the Bible. And I hope that you're seeing today that Israel's story is Moses' story, is your story. And God says, I want to set you free. So you know the story that Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea. And God says, Moses, here's how it's going to happen. I brought you this far. I'm not giving up on you. Moses, hold out your staff. And when you hold out your staff, the waters are going to pass. And the Israelites march right through the waters. And here comes Pharaoh and his entire army chasing after them. And as soon as the Israelites are through and spared from death, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, the waters come crashing down and all the Egyptians are drowned and God's people are saved and rescued. It is through the waters that they come into freedom. And the exact same thing happens for our friend Andy Dufresne. 
And so as we watch this final clip and this last scene from the film Shawshank Redemption, watch how Andy escapes the prison and moves from death to life, from slavery to freedom. How? Through the waters, of course. Let's take a look. And so I'll ask you today, that's what freedom looked like for him. What does freedom look like for you? When are you finally going to let God take the chains off? As you pass from death to life. What if we as Christians were known as the most generous, rested, refreshed, joyful, servant-hearted people on earth? Not because life is easy, but because we have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. The same God that rescued the Israelites from Egypt through the waters is the same God who says to you, I want to take you from slavery to freedom, from numb and mundane to passionate and on purpose, from death to life. Amen? Let's stand together.